Well, hello again. Good to see everybody. So, who knows what tomorrow is? Palms? Okay. Mm. Look at all y'all cheaters. Minus 10 on your papers now because Kara was on the ball and she put Palm Sunday up there. Yes, tomorrow is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day in the Western church year calendar. Uh, there's a Western and Eastern, but in the Western church in most parts of the world that celebrate the name of Jesus, they will celebrate the day called Palm Sunday, which marks Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 19. We'll look at his perspective on Palm Sunday. But you'll see here shortly that in Luke, there are no palms. So this was a bad idea, Adam, to pick Luke 19 tonight. But still... More than Palm Sunday, it's about a pilgrimage. It's about a pilgrimage in which Jesus is entering into the most important city of Israel. One of the most important cities of the whole world is Jerusalem. And this time, Jesus has been to Jerusalem before, but this time it's much, much different. So we celebrate, we look to Palm Sunday, even though tonight we'll see that there are no palms. But when I think of Palm Sunday, I think of palms because in the church that I grew up in, when we worshiped at Palm Sunday in an Episcopal church, I said my parents are here tonight. Tonight is also the night where I think I'll share a couple family stories. And one of those is when we would worship at Palm Sunday, we would be gathered in the parking lot and we'd receive palms. We'd receive actual palm branches. We'd gather in the parking lot and then there would be musicians seated up on the roof of like one of the fellowship halls. They'd be seated on the roof. We could see them from the parking lot. And then the priest would come and he'd say some invitation kind of words like praise be to God or Hosanna in the highest. And then what would happen is me and my family and all the other worshipers, we have our palms and we process through the parking lot down to the courtyard and down a pathway and a sidewalk, all the while the musicians are up rocking and rolling, praising Jesus, shouting Hosanna, and the priest is leading us from the parking lot, through the courtyard, through the foyer, and even down into our pews as we gathered for worship. And I remember that vividly because I thought, man, there's people on the roof, that's rock and roll, I'm not allowed to be on a roof. And I remembered it because we had the palms. And I remembered it because people in the church would fold the palms into little crosses. And I also remember it because I thought it was really cool that we didn't just walk in and sit in our pews that Sunday. We actually processed. And we processed because we were mimicking the scene in which we're going to look at tonight. That is when Jesus is processing or on a pilgrimage into the holy city of Jerusalem. He was greeted with musicians shouting, blessed be the name of the one who comes or blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. In other scenes we see, praise be to the son of David, or Hosanna. And we see in the Gospels this scene, this progression, this pilgrimage. And it got me thinking that aren't we all on a pilgrimage? And here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> a pilgrimage, if you look it up or Google it, a pilgrimage is simply a spiritual or religious journey. And those of us in Christ 
haven't arrived yet. Though we are in Christ, like we've been talking about in the letter to Ephesians, we are still journeying along with Jesus. There is still yet an end ahead of us. And our pilgrimage will wind up not in the holy city of Jerusalem, but in the new Jerusalem. The new heavens, the new earth. We are pilgrimaging out of this place And one day as we celebrate next week with Resurrection Sunday, with bodies like Jesus, we will be pilgrims into a new city where there is no more death, no more tears, no more sadness, no more sickness, only light and life. And we are pilgrims on the way until then. And so Jesus was making a pilgrimage, a spiritual journey to the holy city, and he was doing it with his disciples. And we're also going to see that he was doing it with some other people who weren't so hip to what they were about. And I'm interested in Luke's passage tonight. Even though it doesn't have palms for Palm Sunday, I'm interested in Luke's because on the pilgrimage of life, we respond to Jesus differently at times. When we see the people singing, the people proclaiming blessed, the people who are journeying with Jesus, some are welcoming him with songs of praise and others in Luke's gospel we're about to see are responding negatively to what is happening. So let's look at it. Let's look at this pilgrimage and let's imagine as we go along that maybe our life we can find some analogy of a pilgrimage. Imagine your life as a pilgrimage, sometimes sacrificing, sometimes singing, and sometimes reacting with criticism or negatively. Let's look at it. Let's start in verse 35. They brought it to Jesus. What's the it? They brought him a cult. They brought him a cult, and it was a big deal, this cult, this scene. It just precedes this Uh, passage that we're looking at here. It was an unridden cult, and it was loaded with meaning. It was loaded with um, significance, and it was everything about a king riding into town on a donkey. And so the it that they brought to Jesus was a cult, and nobody had ever ridden it, so what does it say? They threw their cloaks on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. They made a makeshift saddle out of the cloaks on their back, and the disciples at this point are thinking, okay, I think I know what's going on here. They're thinking of a verse, uh, well, they didn't have verses, but they're thinking of the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 that says, behold, your king comes to you humble and riding on a donkey. So they give him their cloaks on the back of the colt, and they say, I think Jesus is up to something on this pilgrimage, and we've got to be awake to what it is. So they put it on the colt, they put Jesus on the colt, and they begin to ride, and it says in verse 36, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. The road, they spread their cloaks out. The disciples weren't only aware of something really neat and beautiful going on. The crowds that were traveling on the pilgrimage to Jerusalem with them were alerted to something else going on. So they took their jackets off and gave an impromptu, whoops, bowling for water bottles. They gave an impromptu red carpet treatment to Jesus ushering him down the road. And the road was this. There was a mountain at the La Quinta that they were staying at, Jesus and his disciples. It was called the Mount of Olives. And they're staying on the Mount of Olives by night. 
and they gather up and they're getting their cloaks and they're headed down the road and they're headed down a hill into what's called the Kidron Valley, which is just east of Jerusalem. And pretty soon they're going to make that pilgrimage up to another hill and that is the city of Jerusalem. So it was normal for rabbis, especially when they're going down a hill through a valley and up, it was normal for rabbis to ride colts. That was normal. It was normal for large groups of people to road trip it together to the festival in Jerusalem that they were heading to, making a pilgrimage to. It was normal for large groups to party together. What was special was the fact that this cult, these cloaks, they're signifying that there is a king that is coming into the capital. There is a king that is coming and there is a a buzz, there is an excitement, there was something going on that was different and they're rolling out the red carpet and we know in Luke's gospel that Jesus has already, watch, predicted that he was going to go to Jerusalem, be handed over to the religious leaders and be killed. Luke had told us in the middle of his gospel in chapter 951 that Jesus set his face on Jerusalem. So there's a buzz, there's an excitement, not just because he's on a colt and he's riding into Jerusalem. People did that all the time. There's a buzz because there's something different about this pilgrimage. And so then we see people now that are going to respond to Jesus So in verse 37, after we see the scene of the cloaks, we're going to see a choir. We're going to see this chorus, the people in the party. And it says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, like we just talked about. So when they came near that place on the summit where now they're getting down into the territory, the whole crowd of disciples, the whole crowd of disciples, did y'all know that Jesus didn't just have 12 friends? He had hundreds of them. Did y'all know that? We see it in other places in the gospel. They've got a whole crowd of disciples and they began what? To joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the what? The miracles they had seen. On this road trip, they're on a pilgrimage, they're excited, and they begin to sing joyfully and praise God in loud voices for all that they had seen. They're headed down and they're praising God because there's something special about this moment. And these disciples were praising specifically because they knew in Jesus God's power was present with him and there was power within him, and he had done great things, and they're expecting him to walk into Jerusalem, not to die like Jesus has been predicting, but to do even more amazing things, and they're singing about it. They've laid their cloaks down, now they turn into a choir, and they're praising God with loud voices. And what do they say? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting a psalm. Y'all know another normal thing for the Jerusalem road trip for these people is to sing psalms. How many of you in your Bibles, if you're reading in the psalms, sometimes you see a word that says psalm of ascents. Have y'all seen that? People would sing psalms of ascent when they were headed down and then ascending up the hill of Jerusalem. 
they say, I'm going up to Jerusalem. And they would sing psalms as they ascend to the holy place. And the psalm on their mixed CD for the Jerusalem road trip has Psalm 118, verse 26. Make a note of it. It says, blessed is the king. Or in the psalm that says, blessed is he. And these people are just taking it the step further and say, it ain't just a he, y'all. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord means he is the one doing business with the power and presence of God behind him. And they're singing this chorus. And they're jazzed. They're excited. They're singing a festival song because the one who's stepping in is not just a he, it is the Lord's Messiah. And that's not the only song they sing. The next one, it says this. We missed it. Let's go back. Look at your Bibles if you have it in your phone or your swipe. After it says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, it says, peace in the heavens and glory in the highest. They're not just singing the psalms. The next track on the mix CD for the road trip is echoing the angels at the beginning of Jesus' life or pilgrimage to Jerusalem, as we can say. They're echoing the angels in Luke where he says, peace on earth. The Prince of Peace is coming. The angels that declared God's peace and Messiah at the beginning of his life and his pilgrimage, they're echoing this psalm. There's peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If you're making notes, it's in Luke 2, 14. So the thing about road trips or even pilgrimages is this. Like we went to El Paso and it was like over 10 hours because we stopped way more than Pastor Bud wanted. But let me tell you how every Wood family road trip has gone down. And I'm sorry, my parents are here. I didn't know they were coming. Every Wood road trip, and I venture to guess every one of your road trips, starts singing, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace and glory in the highest. Everything is wonderful. Yes, we can listen to your CDs. I don't care if it's Taylor Swift. Yes, that's fine. And everything is peachy and you're starting with such excitement and everything is golden and you're talking and you're excited and it never fails. I always wait till we're like 20 minutes away where we're just far enough, annoyingly far where we can't turn back and I would go, ah, oh man, I can't believe I forgot this. And then my mom goes, what? Are you serious? Are you... Every time. We've gone like on hundreds of road trips and it never fails. She can set her watch by 20 minutes. I'll go, ah, I can't believe it. And then she'll freak out and I say, no, of course I'm joking. I did not forget my suitcase. But every time we're excited and, ah, that's funny. That's a funny joke you did, Adam, again. Everything's peachy and great. And then you kind of settle in. You give it another 20, 40 minutes or an hour. And then what happens for us, it's nap time. We leave my dad high and dry. He's driving. And then we all kind of crash out. We're taking a nap. Then we kind of wake up and we're feeling okay. You know, maybe we're about to stop. But then we start to fidget. We just kind of get bored. We've already talked about everything. We've already taken a nap. We're not so tired. We're just kind of quiet in the car. But then we enter into the fourth stage. And in the Wood family road trip, that's when we begin to turn on one another. And this phenomenon panicked 
Amy when we were dating and she went on a trip to us, uh, with us to New York. This panicked Amy because when the woods begin to turn on one another, we get really short with one another and we just start snapping at each other. We're just going to, like have you seen like roosters or hens that just kind of pick at each other and just snip or like geese or ducks? It's my mom, dad, my brother, and myself. And the way we operate when we turn on one another is just simply, well, I don't know. I don't, I mean, why are we stopping now? Why can't we just do that? I mean, I, I don't even want to eat there. I mean, I thought we were going to do this, but well, you know, if you had just told us, you know, two hours ago, we'd be able to do it. And then here comes my brother coming in. Well, I don't care. I'm, why am I even here? I wish I was back home and doing this. And Amy, you can imagine we're in New York and we're hoofing it in the subway and we're doing all this. And my dad's along for the ride. He's Clark Griswold in this whole thing and trying to get us to Wally World. And even though we're in New York and he's, you know, doing all this stuff and we're just snipping and snapping. And then Amy's panicked because she's saying, how can you, you like, you say this in my family, we don't talk to one another for like 10 years. Like, this is crazy. But then what happens is even on the road trip, when things start out good and things start out promising, even we, even myself, your illustrious pastor, can get short with people. And maybe once or twice I've even been short with my wife and I've grumbled along our pilgrimage or road trip of marriage. And so the reality is, those traveling with Jesus, it was no different. You see it all the times in the Gospels. But the difference for the disciples was this. Even when they would start to grumble, even when Paul is addressing churches in pilgrimage together and they start to grumble, the difference is this. They have the opportunity to respond again with forgiveness and they can be back on the path. So even when the woods were snipping and snapping, you give it five minutes and all of a sudden it's like, hey, so what are we doing next? Or somebody says a joke and we're just act like nothing ever happened. We just had to get it out of our system. So the disciples were in these places. Peter wouldn't get it. He'd snap. He'd grumble. But he'd always have a choice to respond to the king, Jesus. And when you're on a pilgrimage, when they're on a pilgrimage, and Jesus is riding alongside us, we are always responding to Jesus. In this moment, you are responding to Jesus. You're drawing in or you're drawing back. There is no neutral. You're always responding to Jesus. The people that encountered Jesus physically, that were being healed or were challenging him as teachers, they're always responding to Jesus. There is no neutrality with Jesus. You're always responding to him, good, bad, or ugly. And the reality is in the pilgrimage of life, just as any road trip, sometimes are you responding to him like the choir we just sang about, or are you going to respond to him and grumble like the next group of people we're going to see in our text? These are the critics. Let's look here in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Notice here the criticism is not just on Jesus. Let's give the Pharisees a benefit of a doubt right now. What is he upset about? What are these Pharisees who are road tripping with Jesus, what are they upset about? Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I think there's two things going on. They're saying, Jesus, chill them out, number one, because you're going to get us arrested or pulled over because they're like jumping and singing and they're saying like things about a king. This could get us arrested. This could get us in trouble, especially because we're coming on the Passover week. The Passover week in Jerusalem 
They're going up to Jerusalem to celebrate God's mighty act of salvation by rescuing Israel from Egypt. This is a loaded time, not just because Jesus is coming in, but because he's coming into a city that's remembering back how God rescues people as a king from people who tried to be a king over them. This is a loaded time, so they're saying, chill out, dude, you're going to get us arrested. That may be what's going on, or maybe they're saying this, hey, teacher, rebuke your disciples because you may not be as awesome as they say you are, Jesus. And this is really, really kind of like tacky. Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And so here's what I'm thinking as a church. I'm asking questions as I'm looking at this text, and I'm seeing a whole crowd of disciples singing joyfully. And I'm asking myself, man, when was the last time I was so joyful singing? praising because what this text said earlier was for the miracles they'd seen Jesus do. When was the last time I was so joyful somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're really taking this Jesus thing too seriously. When was the last time, even privately, you've experienced the kind of joy that even comes close to the kind of joy these guys are getting reprimanded for? I'm not saying that to guilt you. I'm saying that to mean that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And on the road trip of life, when we're reacting negatively or positively to Jesus, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to be upset. But if there is never a blip on the radar in a decade or more or years, I think there's some joy that the Spirit wants to breathe into your life. And I think it's time to take a look under the hood and say, are there miracles in my life that are reasons to be joyful, but have I explained them away? When we talked earlier about the cans in El Paso, yeah, they're just a bunch of free six-pound refried bean cans, or not. Are they a miracle because that man had not received a phone call like that in years, and the day after we build him a shed and pray, God meets a need. Now, I'm not saying that you can just work God like a magic genie and rub some joy on it and name it and claim it and you'll be okay. What I'm telling you is, what things in your life has God answered miraculously, been at work? Have you explained them away? And that may be why you're wondering why your joy meter is so down in the dumps. When have we as a church been so joyful and excited about what God has got going on that people in the neighborhood have taken notice? What's been convicting to me is that people in this neighborhood don't even know that we're meeting here right now. And that's a place that I'm calling you to pray about and we're gonna be very intentional after Easter to pray and seek how we can be so joyful and so grateful for the miracles and work that God has in store for us that people, good, bad, or ugly, Pharisees or otherwise, have at least take notice in our community. Because what good's a church if nobody in the exterior knows we're even churching? I'm sorry. I love your beautiful faces and seeing you every Saturday. 
But I'd love to take this party to the streets. And I'd love people from the streets to find themselves here or wherever we're meeting in six months. But would we be such a church that is so passionate and on pilgrimage with Jesus that we're saying, here's the king, here's the king. And when the Pharisees say, shut them up, here's Jesus' response. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There's two things going on probably with the Pharisees' response. Either they were saying, don't get us arrested, or you may not be as cool as you think you are. There's two things going on with Jesus' response. If they are quiet, if they shut their voices, even the rocks, creation will find a voice and testify to the reality that Jesus is King. If we are not saying, blessed is he, the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace, gospel, is peace between God and humanity. Peace between you and others. If we are not proclaiming blessings and peace and being good news, if we are shutting our mouths, the rocks will open theirs. And that is some kind of wild thing. So let's not even try to see what it looks like for a rock to sing. Let us be people who are not keeping quiet. The second thing going on with Jesus' response, I think, is this. Let them party. Pharisees, they've not been so antagonistic in Luke's gospel, if you did a brief read-through again. But the reality is the kingdom of God is more like a party than I think our churches give credit for. And on this Sunday, Palm Sunday, it's a day to party because the king is coming into the capital of the kingdom, so to speak. So many rejoice and they walk with him on the pilgrimage and many tell his followers basically to calm down and we don't see what the fuss is about. The reality is Israel who receives Jesus on a donkey after this scene when he steps into the temple man many are just as divided. Some are singing with the choir and laying down their cloaks and some of them are saying chill out. We've seen people like this before. He's not worth the fuss. Israel is divided. Well, humanity is still divided today. As we pilgrimage with Jesus, even His people are responding at times saying to one another, man, chill out. I'm doubting. I don't know if Jesus is who He says He is. Or maybe there are many who are in seasons of joy and places of joy. And sometimes in our church, we can be like Pharisees and say, Man, if I'm not happy, they shouldn't be so happy. So I'm going to go talk over here and say, what do they think they're doing? The Pharisees had a problem with the disciples, not so much Jesus. And so we, pilgrimaging with Jesus, even we can be divided with how we respond to each other on the way. You get my drift? So what side of the road are you on tonight in your pilgrimage? I mean, do you believe the hype about Jesus? That's the question. That's what Palm Sunday is about. Because Palm Sunday has always been a mystery to me. Because there's a whole crowd of disciples singing 
even with the naysayers, the Pharisees, Palm Sunday's been a mystery to me because how do these people welcome him on this Sunday and then so quickly begin to distance from him? I'll tell you why they begin to distance from him. Because if you flip through the rest of this gospel, and as we march toward Maundy Thursday, you begin to see that Jesus is taking head on the religious establishment. He's taking head on the religious assumptions of what it means to be God's people and how to act. He takes head on in the heart of the religious world the leaders responsible and oppressing people in that system. He doesn't just take on his own religion. He takes on Rome, the empire running the show from behind the scenes, and sometimes not so much behind the scenes because they're going to execute him publicly a week later. Palm Sunday has been a mystery to me because what happens to this crowd that welcomes him? Think about your own pilgrimage. How many people have started the journey just like that road trip I told you about that was so excited, everything's great. Maybe they'd start to take a nap. Maybe they get bored. Maybe they begin to turn on you. What happens to the crowd? What happens to our church? What happens to Jesus and his pilgrimage? Let's look as we close at the beginning of Jesus' pilgrimage. Would you turn back or swipe back to Luke chapter 2? I want to start in verse 41 as we close. See, we're not just on a pilgrimage with Jesus. In this gospel, in this week of Holy Week, as we journey with him toward the cross and the empty tomb, Jesus himself is on a pilgrimage. And his began in this city, in this temple. Let's look at verse 41 of chapter 2 in Luke. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Some, what, 15 years later, Jesus is going back to the same city for the same holiday to do the same things he had done every single year, celebrating God's mighty salvation. So his parents go up in 42, it says, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Because guess what? Jesus had been a part of a pilgrimage very similar to the one now. There's a lot of people partying on the road and they're partying on the way back and they can't find him. Verse 45. They began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. You see, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he sits in the temple courts and he's asking them questions and he's engaging with them. Even at 12, year old, 12 years old, these are experts in the field, PhDs and high priests and bishops in our language. And he is challenging them, but he's learning from them and he's responding to them. He's talking about the scriptures. And at the end of Jesus' pilgrimage, in the very next section, the text we looked at tonight, he's going to be sitting in the temple courts. He's not going to be asking questions. He's going to be turning over tables. 
Let's go back to the beginning of his pilgrimage. Verse 47 of Luke chapter 2. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents saw him, they were astonished. You see, when Jesus began his pilgrimage, celebrating the Exodus, celebrating in that city, Jerusalem, on a pilgrimage, they were amazed by Jesus in the temple courts. And when they welcome him Palm Sunday, in the temple courts of this week and Holy Week, they're going to be challenged by Jesus. They're not going to be amazed, they're going to be challenged, and they're going to condemn him to death. So on this Sunday, we celebrate because Jesus is welcomed as a king, and on Thursday, he's going to be betrayed and arrested like a common criminal, and on Friday, he's going to be executed as a rebel and a pretender. On Saturday, he's buried, and his disciples, his closest friends and women are thinking he was just another lost cause and wannabe, and they're picking up the pieces and saying, what next? I was singing last Sunday, and now it's Saturday, and who will roll away the stone? So we start with Palm Sunday, and we look ahead toward what will come next Sunday. Because the next Sunday, it won't just be an exodus like Israel from Egypt. It's going to be an exodus of the whole world being rescued from sin and death and Satan. And it has everything to do with the king who rode in on a donkey and rode out of the tomb, glorious, resurrected, victorious. And I cannot wait to celebrate that next week. It's a pilgrimage until then, and it's a pilgrimage even after. And we're commending you, Lord Jesus, with your help to respond to Jesus with celebration and joy. And even when it's tough, would we not be like the Pharisees, grumbling and questioning? Would we respond to you in our way? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We're so grateful for the one who has come in the name of the Lord. So it wasn't in our reading tonight, but... In other places, we know that word Hosanna, which means save us, O God. So I pray in these moments a Hosanna, a shout of praise and cry for deliverance for those in this room who have not experienced that joy that this crowd of disciples has experienced in some time. I pray for joy to break through like the waters flooding their hearts and their souls. Lord, I pray for those who are in places of stress and grief and anxiety. I pray that they would lay their cloaks down and welcome Jesus to not just pass by, but to walk right beside them so close that they can just reach out and touch his shoulder and not journey alone, but journey with you, Lord. So we pray also for this place this week. Pray for those who would join us on the journey. We pray that many would come and many would sing with us and that we would have an impact for your namesake and your kingdom. We pray all of this in the name of the King.